Blue foul. We'll take a shot downfield. And it is held in by Bryce Bama. What a one-handed catch. Remember that for your highlight show tonight. Brucott to the corner for Carrington. Intercepted. Colorado got it. Witherspoon. With the biggest play in Colorado football for years. This could be a pass. Bryce Bobo down the field for Colorado. Some trickery, Philip Lindsay. Lindsay touchdown buffs. Oliver takes it. Has a big one already. He's got room here. Isaiah Oliver cuts it back. Harder to beat. He does. He'll take it. Touchdown. New foul. Locked and one to the end zone, caught, touchdown Shea Fields. Out the right hand side, ball is fumbled, picked up by Kenneth Olamode, and he runs it in from the six, touchdown, touchdown Colorado. The defense comes up big again. Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com, here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. It feels a little like spring cleaning, Tyler. It's been about a month or so, I think a little bit more than a month since we did our, our post-spring ball wrap-up. And uh, kind of like you uh, go through your house after that last storm, which hopefully in Colorado, that's about right now. Uh, you find some spots you need uh, to kind of polish up, and I think that's kind of the case here. Kind of touch on quite a few topics. How are you doing? Doing good, yeah. It definitely has been a while. I'm um, going through withdrawals, talking about football, basketball, whatever it is going on in the CU Buffs family. So uh, it's good to be back talking a little sports. I haven't gotten to do that much lately, so let's get it done. That's the first thing I thought of when I saw that spring ball was going to start so early this year. I was like, wow, those are going to be some slow months. Mm -hmm. And we don't have Davis Webb to lean on this year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we didn't even really get to do much spring ball talk to begin with. So, yeah, it's been, it seems like it's been a long, long break. You've been on the road a, a little bit, San Francisco trip to see uh, the Rockies, right? Yep, went to go see my girlfriend's cousin. The okay. Rockies happened to be in town, so, okay. we went, so that was nice. Uh, yeah, we, I was in Chicago last weekend for a wedding, going again in, in July, Cleveland in August. I got trips all up and down this summer, so hopefully the camp schedule works with me. This is kind of the time of year where people start asking if I can come visit. And I say, no, you're bringing your butt to Colorado. This is where you want to be basically from now all the way until camp starts. I actually discovered El Dorado Springs the other day. It's 10 minutes from my house. I didn't realize there's some amazing hikes back there. But anyways, in terms of CU, we've got a lot of football topics, a mailbag as we always do, and, and some basketball stuff to get into. Obviously, two spring signings there for the Buffaloes men's basketball program. Real quick, uh, before we jump into those topics, congrats to the CU women's lacrosse team on their appearance in the Pac-12 championship game. Of course, uh, suffered a heartbreaking loss against USC, but they've got a consensus top 10 ranking going into the NCAA tournament. It's a 2016 field for lacrosse, and they're going to announce that this coming Sunday with the tournament beginning on May 12th. Men's golf, of course, hosted the Pac-12 championships at Boulder Country Club last weekend. They finished seventh. Unfortunately, they weren't really able to take advantage of that home course advantage. But yeah, I think you look at that, they would have undoubtedly finished in the top half of the conference had Jeremy Paul, their best player, uh, been able to finish out 
his senior season with the Buffaloes before turning pro. They got to fix something about that. It's not okay to poach a kid right before conference yeah. championship seasons in golf. Yeah, it seems. It was just kind of an interest. I didn't even know you could do that, and I, there wasn't really a. I don't know what tournament you decided to go pro for, but it was a web.com tournament, and it was because basically he had a sponsor's exemption. He didn't make it through the what do they call that Q school? Yeah. He just fell out of the cut for that, and so he got the sponsor's exemption, and apparently, had he not taken advantage of that, it would have been like a long time before he would have been able to get into the professional ranks. So you really can't blame Jeremy Paul for that. I mean, you got to go make a living, right? Um, he didn't make the cut in that tournament, so it was like, you know you know, Jeremy Paul wanted to be in Boulder last weekend, so that's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah I mean, I guess you got to do what's best for you and your family in the long run. You know, I'm just another bullet point to the whole athletes getting paid type thing. Like if you get taken care of a little bit more, maybe these questions don't need to need to come up every single year regardless of the sport. But yeah, I mean, seventh is, you know, I think they were sixth in overall national rank in the Pac-12. So fifth, I want to say. Yeah, I think I looked fifth at it. Sixth, it looked yeah, like, they were looked like sixth, yeah. And then without your best player, I mean, I guess seventh isn't a huge shock. But I think there's a pretty big advantage when you've been able to train on a golf course. It's not like a basketball hoop where the rims are all 10 feet high. Uh, you know, that's they know all the intricacies of that course. Yeah, they said they only got to play them um, a couple times, and of course the snow. That's a, that always. No, well, they got to train there a ton. Oh, I thought they were at the no. other course more often than that. Oh, yeah, they spent a lot of time at Older CC. Oh, nice. That's probably enough golf talk. We're probably turning some people. Well, I guess the golf. women's golf team played pretty. Is doing pretty. Yeah, well so they, yeah, they finished second in conference, and looks like they're going to make the NCAA tournament, whatever they call that. Um, I think regionals. I think they actually got. Already announced that they were going to be where they were going to be, what regional. So hopefully they uh, play well. It's been a good year overall for CU athletics. A lot of ranked opponent or ranked teams. And you you really got to respect the CU golf coaches for being able. to – It's tougher to recruit kids to altitude because there's that adjustment. Because your most of your tournaments are going to be at sea level. So any success those programs have is pretty impressive. In terms of football, and we'll kind of. Bridging the gap here between Olympic sports and football is Isaiah Oliver, uh, you know, doing really well with the, the track and field team. They're going to be gearing up for their Pac-12 championships later this month. We'll recap that on our next show. Of course, the big news recently with CU, and in, in, in case you've been hiding under a rock, of course, there were four buffs drafted in the 2017 NFL Draft. Cheeto Bay Awuzie, number 60 to Dallas Cowboys. Akella Witherspoon, number 66 to the 49ers. Tedrick Thompson, an early fourth-round pick by the Seahawks. And Jordan Carroll, a surprising seventh-round pick by the Dallas Cowboys. And then, uh, of course, undrafted free agents, Cephal Luf out of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Kenneth Olobode, Cleveland Browns. Jimmy Gilbert, 49ers. Josh Tupo, Cincinnati Bengals. And then a couple mini-camp invites with Samson Kafavalu and Alex Kelly to the 49ers. What were your t- uh, main takeaways from, from draft weekend? Uh, I guess I would say nothing overly shocking. Cheeto lasted a little bit longer than I thought, but not outrageous. I said his range was kind of early second to 50, so he obviously dropped a little bit longer there. Um, but once you saw a lot of the corners, especially early in the first round, were dropping because people had said you could get starters in the third and fourth round amongst the secondary this year. So people were trying to go on, going for selections. You know, I, I need to get a starter in the first round at some of these positions that don't have as much depth. So, kind of watching the draft play out in the first round, it didn't surprise me a ton. I mean, yeah, Akella was right in that range. I said he'd probably go early third. Early third is where he went. He went a little bit earlier than I thought he was going to, so that was nice to see. How much, how much of him getting up to 66 was him 
showing that he can get up to 200 pounds, which I honestly, with his frame, didn't think that was a possibility. Yeah, uh, and he ran well and performed well at the combine with that weight as well. Um, it did seem like he got a little bit sturdier this year watching him in fall camp. Like He was still skinny, long kid, but definitely had a lot more weight to him than he had in previous years. So I knew he had a chance to be a – well, I know we talked about during the season. I, I really would thought highly of his NFL draft prospects and uh, was happy to kind of see that play out. I mean, he had a great senior year. I saw a few um, draft guys who said they didn't like him. They thought he benefited from Cheeto being next to him, but I would think that that would hurt you more than anything. I mean, he would see a lot of balls his way, and he held his own. I actually think he's going to be a great NFL player, especially in press coverage, not necessarily because of his physicality, but just because he's so long, he's going to be able to make up for any errors that he has in the first few steps of the route tree. And uh, it sounds like San Francisco and the Cowboys, for that matter, have – Pretty much wide open situations in mm-hmm. the cornerback spot for the, both those guys to compete. I was actually getting kind of frustrated with Cheeto falling, and part of that is the Celtics game is going on at the same time. I'm a diehard Celtics fan, and I wanted to focus on that. But to fall to a team that has two young superstars on offense, a wide open situation in your secondary, Cheeto landed in a great place. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, after it was all done, I'm sure he was hyped. I mean, Dallas is a good defensive scheme fit for him he's going to start there right away whether it be nickel or in that second corner spot most likely uh he really fits what they want to do in the secondary they've got some hitters at safety so he's going to be comfortable out there i think you know on an island with them and uh you know they they've struggled in the secondary the past few years so they definitely needed the help um i think you're going to see him play a ton and tedrick thompson provides a great moment there it's cool that the seahawks provided the reaction that he had to, to finding out that he was being drafted, you can tell he was overtaken with emotion. So so was Jordan Carroll. He was pretty hyped yeah. uh, on that, that audio that the Dallas Cowboys released as well. Uh, I, I put it in my article. I feel like those are the moments that remind you of why you love sports. Right, yeah, and you think these kids don't have any emotion going to the NFL. Well, you'd be wrong. I mean, there's still a big moment for these guys, even for the ones who know they're going to be drafted. Um, yeah, Tedrick also, fantastic spot for him. Uh, they love safeties there that have you know can play boundary to boundary. He's going to basically, you know, whether Earl Thomas decides to come back or not, Tedrick is going to fill in that role for them most likely. So if not, he gets to learn from one of the best, and I'm sure it'll help immediately on special teams. Uh, it's a That's a perfect scheme fit for him as well. So I was happy to see him go to Seattle, even though not a big Seahawks guy. But for him personally, that's a great fit. It sounds like the Bengals run a, a 4-3, which is a little interesting in terms of Josh Tupo ending up there. Uh, of the undrafted free agents and the minicamp invites, would you say he's the best chance to, to hang um, out with the Yeah, I mean, Jimmy has the highest salary of any of the undrafted free agents around the league right now, so I think the 49ers are expecting him to at least make the practice squad. So uh, anytime you give someone 62000 guaranteed, they're going to probably give you a little bit longer of a leash in terms of developing you. So Jimmy's got to be up there as well. Uh, the Bengals do use two gigantic tackles um they had Domito Pecco there for a long time who's like 360 pounds okay uh so he it is a 4-3 but they do it a little bit differently there I guess I would say they definitely love those big nose guys um so I think he could definitely make the team I mean he's so they have Geno Atkins inside but he's kind of their speed rusher on the inside position and they typically have a big stout guy next to him so I don't know if he's not going to be a starter I don't think but he he definitely fits what they like to do on defense do, do the 49ers run a 3-4 base defense? Well, they have a new staff, so I'm not sure what their plans are in terms of defense. You would think so if they're giving Jimmy Gilbert that. Right, yeah, you would, yeah I, would have to, I would have to think. Unless they plan to use him at 
traditional outside linebacker, that seems like a tough transition in the NFL, though, with his size. But, yeah, I would, I would think they're probably looking at him in a 3-4 scheme. Going to the guys that are going to be back with the Buffaloes next year, Donovan Lee. Uh, Mike McIntyre said earlier this week that he's definitely going to be back 100% by camp, which to thought for a minute maybe there they would look at a junior college guy to bring in at running back to bolster the depth. But you've heard uh, good things about Kyle Evans and his recovery. So I don't think that's as big a concern as maybe it was a month ago. Yeah, if you can get both of those guys healthy for the season, that's great. I don't think I think at this point, Donovan Lee, you don't really want to rely on him too much based on how we've seen his career play out. I don't think you want him getting 10 touches a game or anything like that. But you do feel more comfortable with Kyle Evans in that role. So getting him back healthy, and then you have Lindsey, you've got Evans in that backup role, you've got Donovan Lee situationally, you've got Bo Bichrat situationally. I think you feel pretty good about their running back core if they all go into the season healthy. What do you think about Eddie Lopez with his move over to offense? It's hard to really pinpoint what the issue with him is, so I don't really it's have It's an aggressive issue, I think. Yeah, I mean, but he's going to have to do that on the other it's side of the ball, though, too. It's different, though, I think, uh, as a tight end. I mean, yes, yes, you need aggression, even if you're a wide receiver blocking in football, but I think there's a certain attacking mentality that you have to have as a defensive player, mm-hmm. and I think offensively, you you just basically need to be physical. It does not need to be this mentality that you have. Yeah, I mean, I don't really expect him to be used that often. I assume he'll come in on goal line packages is probably where he's most likely to be seen unless he loses a ton of weight. We'll see how he looks, I guess, in fall camp. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think he's going to be kind of a special specialized utility guy, and uh, I don't really expect him to see much field time beyond that. This is a difference you see with the Mike McIntyre staff in saying, okay, we've got this guy on our roster instead of pushing him out. Let's try to find a role for him. Mm-hmm. Previous staffs would have just said, pack your bags, get out of here, you don't have a spot here. We'll see how it plays out with Eddie Lopez. You do yeah, need a couple just, scholarships right. to open up. Yeah. yeah, so if it doesn't work out, that could still theoretically happen. So and what we have two two or three still that are uh, left with, open. Okay. See, yeah, they're at eighty eight right now. Okay. Yeah, gotta get down to yeah, eighty five. So, yeah, now you can gray shirt a, a guy, and we got a mailbag question about this. From that 2017 class, if you need mm-hmm. to. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, assuming they have a few guys that are understanding the process and know what that could mean for them. I mean, it's always a tough situation when someone thinks they're going to come in and then they have to gray shirt. So I hope at least a few of these guys are on standby with a, you know, if it does need to happen, it might be to you. Yeah. There's a couple new uh, football commits since our last show. DeSoto offensive lineman Josh Gines and Aquinas outside linebacker Joshka Gustav. We'll get your thoughts, Tyler, here. Giants, uh, the only two-star on the Buffs commit list right now, which is just kind of interesting. He, he played on the state championship team at DeSoto that was basically playing the highest level of high school football there is in mm-hmm. the country. He doesn't give up a sack during his junior season, but he's also not that guy that's you know, 6'7", 320, that's out there running 40 yards downfield and mauling yeah. people over. Yeah, I mean, he's playing next to Xavier Newman, so I think a lot, you know, scouts focus on the guys who are, they had a tackle who went to Missouri as well. So they had a couple guys who went D1 last year. You start to get a little more love from the scouts as a senior. For, you know, the whole line position sometimes gets overlooked all the time. There's always guys in Texas that are two-stars. I mean, that kid we had a few years ago who was a two-star ended up going to Texas. It always seems like guys fall under the radar at that position, and then late in the process they, they blow up. So there's time for Giants to prove he's a bigger-time prospect. Um, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I – I'm the best guy to analyze offensive line prospects. I don't understand the nuance of it a lot of the time. But he's a big enough guy. He comes from a big program that's important to our future. We want to have a pipeline in DeSoto. So yeah. from that perspective, it's an important commit for us. 
Joshka Gustav is a six foot three, two hundred and twenty five pounder. He's stars on both sides of the ball. Aquinas actually had quite a bit more receiving yards than anybody else in his league out there in San Bernardino, California last year. But he's expected to play outside linebacker for the Buffs. Was recruited to Boulder by DJ Elliott. He's a heady football player that that has pretty good length. Uh, it seems like he's got a desire to get better every day, which is one of those intangible things that McIntyre and staff seem to kind of look for those type of guys that, that have a good work ethic. Uh, didn't have a ton of other offers, a three-star guy. What were your thoughts on him? Yeah, he's ranked pretty highly across the board, though. Um, all the scouting services seem to think he's a pretty good prospect. He's He fits in that same mold of the guys we signed last year, I think, uh, linebacker mold. I think they have a lot of chance to develop and be special for us, but... Um, you know, definitely not going to wow you, I guess, on film. His first clip on his highlight reel is one of the, one of the more entertaining things. It's a pass that he catches, and he's literally dragging a guy like 30 yards downfield. <laughs> you got to check that out if you haven't. Adrian Jackson from Mullen, just down the road here, the top-ranked in-state recruit this cycle, committed to Oregon last weekend. They got a ton of commits last weekend. What are your thoughts here? Uh, we know that he was not giving the buffs a whole lot of interest. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't holding my breath on Adrian Jackson. It never really seemed like he had much interest in being at Colorado. Um, it's nice to know that Jim Levitt decided he wanted to recruit somebody again, though. See how long that lasts. <laughs> I will say, if you're just talking about on the hoof, uh, uh, he looks really physically impressive. Even as the first time I saw him his sophomore year, I was like, that kid looks like he could go play Pac-12 football today. Now you watch him play, and he takes some plays off. I really don't know what he's going to be. If somebody can light a fire under him, I think he's going to be a pretty yeah, good player. Yeah, I mean, if someone could do that, Jim Levitt's certainly your guy. I mean, there's a lot of things we didn't like necessarily about Jim Levitt by the time he was gone. But in practice, he definitely knew how to get guys motivated. That that never changed for sure. So, uh, yeah, if Jim Levitt can't get him going at the linebacker spot, I'm not sure anybody's going to. Jamon and German Green from DeSoto, guys at CU was high on. They're also off the board as they committed to, we call them the Fighting Harbaugh's. It's not Michigan anymore, is it? It's all about Jim Harbaugh and his image, it appears at times. That was lame. <laughs> all right. They should decommit. All right. But uh, <laughs> basically, let's update our CU football recruiting wish list because I think Jamon Green would have been on that, right? Oh, for sure, yeah. I'm going to go uh, with Justin Dietich, uh, nation's number one ranked center prospect from Chaparral High School in Temecula. He is uh, definitely a guy that's high on the Buffaloes board, would be a big-time get for the Buffaloes. Julius Irvin, a four-star safety from Servite High School in Anaheim. He's already visited CU, and, of course, he's got Tyler Lytle in his ear talking up CU. Um, he's a guy that I think uh, would be a pretty good get for, for Colorado. And I actually had Mateo Mele, a four-star offensive tackle from Arizona, third on my list here, the wish list for CU football recruiting, because I talked to him earlier this month, or I guess last month now, and he seemed genuinely awed by CU. But I got a text last night, and it sounds like he might – be joining Oregon's commit yeah, list pretty yeah, soon. Yeah, it did sound like after his visit to Oregon, he was potentially going there as well. So uh, they're off to a pretty good start. No surprise, they have a pretty amazing staff, especially in terms of recruiting. But they, they still got to perform on the field this year. So we'll see just how much improvement they have. So I'm going to move up on my list. I'm going to scratch up Mateo Mele, thinking that he's going to Oregon, off my list. I'm going to put Emmett Gooden up there. He's from Independence Community College. Looked like he was honestly strongly favoring CU, and then Oklahoma just stepped up with an offer, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, still sounds like he's going to visit Boulder, though. He's a versatile defense lineman that was a four-star prospect with offers from across the SEC coming out of high school. I'm going to throw a wild card in here, number four. Trey McBride from Fort Morgan, Colorado. 
three-star guy. He does have another offer from, from Cal. Not the most highly regarded guy as a tight end prospect, but the reason he's on my list is because his older brother goes to CSU, and I think it would be fun. Just stab him a little bit in the side, make him feel worse. That'd be awesome. I mean, it would be great because I think he actually had two brothers that went there, I think. They, they've been a CSU family forever. It's, it I think just like. one. He's and got a brother uh, that plays at Fort Morgan right now. Oh, okay. Maybe that, it could, I could be wrong. But, um, yeah, that would, just to get one from a CSU legacy or, whatever, you know, someone who already plays there, just have him be like, ah, I'm going to see you. That would be pretty fun. And then uh, for my fifth year, I'm going to go Nick Bolton, a more athletic Rick Gamboa-type middle linebacker from Texas. I really like him. So, what's that? Nothing. I'm, I'm going to leave it alone. More athletic Rick Gamboa. It's not hard to find. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What about uh, another guy, Dominique Hamilton, a, a long six foot two corner that CU offered first, and now he's got both Arizona State, Arizona after him. Notre Dame's also highly interested. Long corner from from Arizona. Yep. Sounds familiar. The last guy, corner they got from Arizona worked out pretty yeah, well. Pretty well, I would say <laughs> definitely. <laughs> a few other guys that I, I I thought about for this list, Solomon. Enos, a four-star receiver from Arizona that plans to visit CU. But he's got family history at Penn State. Tommy Bush from Texas, also a four-star receiver, who Blake Stenstrom and uh, CU's other early commits are working on hard. Will Craig, a highly regarded offensive tackle from Granite Bay. Of course, Granite Bay sent Isaiah Lewis and Dylan Keeney to Boulder, and he visited Boulder this spring. What about Dimitri Stanley, three-star uh, athlete from Cherry Creek, son of... Uh, Former buff Walter Stanley. Yeah, I mean, he's a legacy, so that's always a big deal. Um, I'm curious to kind of watch how he plays this year, though, because he hasn't done enough yet, I don't think, to people really get people swear excited. By yeah, I think he's got to have a big year. Um, I think he's probably not our first priority recruit right now for Colorado, but if he a is. few things fall he's, through. He's, he's up there. Well, let's get him then. <laughs> well, he was the only one that ran faster than Ray Robinson in that 100-meter dash yeah. recently. Yeah, Ray Robinson's going to be a stud. I think he's our most underrated commit right now. Probably. There's another guy to throw out there, Jake Heimlicher, pass rush specialist from Regis Jesuit in Aurora. You watch his film, and he's flying all over the place. Looks like you, you know, you play football video game, and you pull, you, you put that little star over the outside linebacker, <laughs> and you're just wreaking havoc. That's what I, I see from from his film when I watch it. So those are some uh, guys as we uh, talk about recruiting here that uh, keep an eye on. What's your reaction to the new college football rules, starting with the December signing period? I mean, I think it's great. Um, it, it's worked out pretty well in basketball, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's going to change. It's going to change how people recruit. You're going to see obviously some earlier commits. People, which is going like, to lend to more parity, honestly. Yeah, but I think that's a good thing. Uh, I mean, in basketball, for the most part, there aren't a whole lot of decommitments because you have multiple periods, so guys are either waiting it out or they're committing early and signing. Uh, I think that'd be good for football. I mean, there's too many guys out there that are decommitting two three times throughout the process. I think maybe it'll help alleviate some of those issues. Well, the number one thing I think this benefits to you is just the fact that beginning, I think next year, if this gets officially approved, it sounds like it will, you can bring out recruits late April through June on official visits. You bring out a kid from Texas or Florida in June, that's a huge selling point with the weather here in Colorado. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's just, especially with the way we recruit, I mean, it seems like you watched last year, some of these guys we had on the board early had Notre Dame after them, Texas after them, 
Baylor after them. Some of these big-time programs, if they're already signed, it's just not going to matter. So if we're able to keep finding, you know, all these diamonds in the rough, finding guys no one else has seen, get a few of them on board early, that could really help us out. What makes this really interesting to me, and I don't think people are really discussing this enough, is that if you have a December signing period, how is this going to affect coaching changes? Because let's say you have a coach that's kind of on the hot seat, but he's got a pretty decent recruiting class. You're probably going to keep him now, right? Versus before, you would have all of the second half of December and January, and I realize there's a dead period in there, but let's be honest, they're still recruiting during that time, where you can try to poach other guys' commits. You saw that last year with Oregon mm-hmm. trying to pull, pull all CU's commits. They had a month and a half to do that. Now you're not going to have that month and a half to do that. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's probably a good thing, again. But I also think that um, it's going to be tougher to handle all that kind of stuff because for the most part in my eyes, if you, most of the time you're not keeping a coach because of his commit list. You think you're going to get a guy who's better than this coach that can probably also come in and recruit talent. So unless you're, especially at a school like CU, it might be more likely if you're on the cusp, oh, we have a really good recruiting class that's big for us. But if you're Oklahoma, you're going to get good kids, I think, pretty much regardless. So I'm not, it just depends on which school you're at, how big of a deal that's going to be, I think. But if you're at, at Oklahoma and you're fire your coach, now you are going to speed up that hiring process mm-hmm. exponentially now. Because you have to. Right, yeah. I mean, I think you're going to have to be a little more prepared with a replacement. So there's going to be a lot more behind-the-scenes discussion before you get rid of a guy, I think, maybe in college. Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, Of course, there's going to be the new camp rules where instead of being able to uh, basically have bigger windows, there's going to be just 10 days you can go out and and coach camps now. The addition of a 10th assistant after the national championship game this coming season um, it's going to be interesting to see kind of how schools allocate that 10th assistant. Is it going to be more recruiting or is it going to be more on field? What would be your preference in that in, in that situation? All right, well, I mean, it depends on where your holes are, I guess, on a coaching staff. I think most people are probably going to use it for recruiting because most recruiting um, offices are small. They don't have enough bodies to really handle the workload that goes in on every single day. I talked to my brother about this. And he said they're definitely going to hire a recruiting guy. And I was like, does that bother you? He's like, no, I mean, they, they can be on field. They're coaching. Um, so for him, it, it doesn't really affect what he does, but he just makes his job easier because there's more hands on deck is how he described it to me. So I think if he's comfortable with it, for the most part, you're going to see um, coaches bring on that on-field recruiting guy because I think it just bridges the gap. We'll see how it works with CU staff after this coming season. But for like them in particular, I would think adding – a coach that's a really good recruiter but also has a background as a secondary coach to help Shadon Brown. Mm-hmm. But him having the ability then, if it's a, thir- a slow Thursday, to get on the road and recruit a little bit would probably be the best situation for them right now. Yeah. Well, we've got uh, some questions here. Before we get into that, I should probably provide a little bit of an update on the delay to vote on Mike McIntyre's contract extension. I, I know a lot of fans are getting kind of impatient at this point. It sounds like the Regents are going to meet later this month. It will not be a meeting where the public can go and kind of voice their concerns. So if, if you're worried about this, you probably need to email the CU Regents, in particular Glenn Gallegos. McIntyre's contract extension probably would have been approved by now uh, had Glenn Gallegos been on board with that. So kind of you, you look at swing vote type of guy, that's the guy you probably need to reach out to if you're a CU fan and, and concerned about the situation lingering. Uh, we don't really get into politics on buffstampede.com, especially the 
Democrat versus Republican thing because that is a very ugly thing and it never turns out well. But at the same time, this relates to CU Athletics. This is a kind of a big deal. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely a big deal. This process is dragged out too far as it is. Those lawyers are pockets are filling up pretty nicely it's gonna be, here. It sounds like close to a million dollars um, before this is all said yeah, and done. So I think it'll just be nice for everybody to get this thing wrapped up, whatever the decision may be. Obviously, we all know what, what, I, what I want to happen, but just having a decision and being able to move on from it in any way at this point would, I think, be beneficial to the program and to the university. There's, yeah, it's, you can be sympathetic to the victim and you can be pro-academics and still be pro-athletics at the same time. I don't understand why there's a divide in a lot of cases. In this situation, yeah, you, you definitely want to cover all your bases. You don't want to have to come circling back to this the situation, right? So mm-hmm. you want to have a very thorough investigation. But this hap- this started this investigation a long time ago. At this point, I just feel like it's these lawyers dragging their feet as they're racking up this enormous bill. It, at this point, it seems like... Okay, let's let's wrap this up. Let's let's figure this out. It's time to dive into the Buff Stampede Radio Mailbag, which is presented by the Blake Street Tavern. Located one block north of Coors Field, the Blake Street Tavern has been Denver's premier sports bar since its opening in 2003. The Blake Street Tavern, where the game is always on, the drinks are always full, and the fun never stops. Buff Bird asked, has the Tumpkin scandal impacted relationships between Phil DiStefano, Rick George, and Mike McIntyre? What's your prediction on the final fallout? I don't think the scandal has impacted the relationships between Phil DiStefano, Rick George, and Mike McIntyre, but as this continues to linger on, if you're Rick George or Mike McIntyre, isn't this kind of turning you off to see you a little bit? Um, yeah, I would have to think so, and I would also say, I mean... We'll see what the results are. I mean, if one person takes the fall for this, I uh, I would think that there would be some resentment towards the other two. That's just kind of a natural thing as a human. Um, so we'll have to see how it plays out. I'm not really one to predict how this plays out. I don't know enough of the details. You know, I'd be surprised if any of these guys were fired, I guess I would say. But, I mean, in today's society, everything is kind of scrutinized to such a level that this stuff is no longer tolerated on any level. So, I mean, I guess I, uh, I guess it wouldn't shock me. Yeah, I think Mike McIntyre is going to be fine. And, and I think, yeah, I don't think anyone's getting fired over this. Again, I think it's, if anything, it's, it's somebody in this situation getting frustrated with it. And then the next time there's a job opportunity for them out there, they might be more inclined to listen to that other opportunity. And I, I don't want to make a firm prediction either on the final follow-up just because the uh, report hasn't been made public. And unfortunately, it sounds like there's going to be a, a report made public and then there's going to be a more in-depth report that they present to the regions. And they've already met with the regions, so um, the regions kind of have an idea of some of what's coming out there. But it's tough to, to predict everything, but I will say this needs to get wrapped up sooner than later for sure. LJ Buff 4 asked, What are the chances that KBN Intel uses a red shirt this season? Definitely one of the more hot-button topics since spring ball. Yeah, I don't know what the chances are, but if it was up to me, I would love to see it happen. Um, you know, I think I think he's had a huge spring. I think if he got enough playing time, people would consider him for the next level with his athleticism. Um, but he's not going to get enough touches to see that on the field this year. So for him, I think not only would it be beneficial for him long-term to kind of get – yeah, he'd be probably one of the top three receivers on the team if he was held out this year coming back this following season. So, And I think he could really help us. So for the team, I think it would be a huge benefit. For his future, I think it could be a benefit. We'll see how that plays out. 
but I don't know if the chances are high right now. If they could convince him to do it and he was willing to, that would be awesome, though. I think as long as there are no major injuries to your starting receivers during camp, I think there's a better than 50% chance that well, he redshirts. If so, that's, I mean, huge for the program. I mean, to have a guy with that caliber talent redshirting so far along into the process, that's when you know the mindset of the team's in the right spot. And one part of this that might make it tougher for KB on Anto to redshirt is that he's got a young daughter that lives in the South that he misses every day. But you could play in the NFL and make a whole lot of money for your family if you, if you think big picture. I know it's sometimes hard when you're 21 years old to do that. But like you said, I, I don't even think it's a question. He is a top three, maybe top two receiver on the team a year right. from now. Um, yeah. It, I think people will be surprised to have us say oh, he has NFL potential. But, I mean, if you watch him out on the field, watch what some of the guys, what scouts are saying about our other wide receivers, he's definitely in that conversation as a guy with a few more years of development could definitely have a, slot, a chance. And he's definitely got the size. I was just checking out our message board, and somebody posted that he posted a 39.5-inch vertical today during their testing. Yeah, I mean, he's a freak, and he's he's got good size. I mean, you talk about Bryce Bobo, what the next question will discuss this too, but a lot of people think he's the best wide receiver prospect on the team right now, and a lot of that has to do with he has NFL size. Let's get into that question from Elrod6236. With the NFL draft having just wrapped up, I was thinking of where some buffs rank for next year, and Johnny on the spot Tyler Ziskin posted a series of tweets with some good info. As it stands, Bryce Bobo is the most well-regarded pro prospect out of the wide receivers, and some people think Jawan Winfrey is underrated as a pro prospect. Doesn't the success of one affect the other since they play the same position? Do you agree? Also, what's a cool name for the five-wide formation we'll be seeing a lot of? I actually don't think that you're going to see a whole lot of five-wide. Yeah, I don't either. Because <laughs> Philip Lindsay is a really good receiving right. running back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would be surprised if we see any five wide, honestly. I mean, I, unless it's like fourth and 35. But does that really count? Um, yeah, uh, for me, yeah, I mean, we, we talked about the tweets a little bit um, already. Bryce Bobo being our number one wide receiver prospect, is not. that's not how I would have it probably. The thing about this time of the year is people get caught up in recent production. There's not – like people aren't watching Bryce Bobo on film when these 20,000 like – 2018 – rankings come out he's a good player his rise has been you know pretty amazing gone from a guy who a lot of people thought didn't need to be on the team anymore to now our potentially our best draft prospect do i think he could be an nfl player yeah absolutely of course um he's you know one of the quickest dudes you'll see in the draft class that wide receiver i would say he's you know shiftiness is really impressive he's got good size but i'm not ready to say he's a second or third round pick and that's what some people are thinking he could be right now uh it, as far as Jawan Winfrey I think if he comes back fully healthy he is actually our best pro wide receiver prospect. Well, he's a junior though so he has got another right. full year yeah I and mean, we'll see how he plays yeah he could always come back too of course um but you know we have to see how healthy he is and does it affect their draft position that they play the same position I guess kind of I think a lot I think they're going to get a ton of touches both of them yeah do you have a cool name for no, uh, a because I don't think it's going to exist. Back when Dan Hawkins was the coach, they at one point had three white wide receivers out there. And another reporter that's not on the beat anymore was like, that's the mayonnaise spread right there. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, we won't have any mayonnaise in the five wide. I guess maybe Jay. 
I'll, I'll take some of that mayo on my, <laughs> on my spread formation. <laughs> Maximus Buff with a question here. With all the talent we have at receiver and a 1,200-yard running back returning, what do you think we will see from the offense next fall in terms of scheme and play calling? And how many yards do you predict from Philip Lindsay in his final year? We talked about this. I think one change will be less designed quarterback runs between the tackles. Mm-hmm. You'll see Steven Montez running a whole bunch. I think somebody misinterpreted what I say there because he's a better athlete than Cepho. But Cepho Lufau was built like a fullback. And Steven Montez right. now with the six-pack, is not, you're not putting him in harm's way like that. Right. He's, they, a lot, they ran a lot of designed, being the key word, quarterback runs last year. Montez is going to run, but that's usually going to come from being – forced out of the pocket. He's going to be in scramble mode a little bit more than Cepho was um, out there. I think offensively, you're not going to see a whole lot of formation changes, I guess I would say, but you are going to see a lot more route tree upgrades. Cepho wasn't capable of running or of throwing a lot of these passes. Montez can literally do it all in that regard. He can get the ball into any window with his arm strength. So you'll probably see a little bit more of that from the guys this year. Uh, in terms of how many yards from Philip Lindsay in his final year, people are going to call me crazy, but 1,712. Okay. That's rushing yards? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so between rushing yards and receiving yards, this past year in 14 games, he went for 1,745. So you're expecting him to even up it from that? Yep. See, now I'm going to sound like a hater here, but <laughs> and I have a hard time doubting Philip Lindsay with anything. Right, but I just think that's a hard thing to duplicate, and especially now he's a known commodity from other teams, and you have all these great receivers out there. I don't know. I mean, I think he's going to post another thousand-yard rushing season, which will be historic for CU. It's been a really long time since they've had back-to-back thousand-yard rushers. I think he's going to have over three hundred yards receiving if he stays healthy this fall. But gosh, seventeen hundred, huh? Just rushing. Yeah, I mean, and if that doesn't happen, that just means. They're stacking the box, and some of the wide receivers are going to have huge years. I really do. I do think this offense is going to be really difficult to stop continuously next year. So, I mean, if it's not him that blows up, the wide receivers as a whole could have huge seasons as well. Wow. Yeah. I'll say 1,400 yards of offense combined. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I'm going over two total. Hopefully, I think he's going to have huge. Hopefully, year. Philip isn't listening to our podcast. I mean, I don't think that's not really. So he couldn't call Probably it hatred. Season, yeah, 1,400 yeah. total yards of offense is pretty good. <laughs> Ravens 08 11 wants us to predict the future. Which receiver has more yards, catches, and touchdowns? Next year, I assume. Yeah. Rather career thing. Um, Jeez. The most yards, catches, and touchdowns. All right. Touchdowns, if healthy, Juwan Winfrey. Catches, Devin Ross. And yards, Shea Fields. Okay. I'm pretty much on board with you. I said touchdown, Shea Fields as well. We'll see. The following year, I might give all three of those to Juwan Winfrey. Yeah, if he comes back healthy, he's going to be a stud. We'll see how it plays out. I mean, if not, he could really be legitimately the fourth guy and then Bobo obviously moves up the ranks and all those Kev Buff wants us to provide some insight on what an uncommittable offer is it's kind of a fluid deal right right you've got so many guys on your board that you want you get a commitment from from somebody on there that you're willing to take that commitment from 
A lot of times those other offers are going to be uncommittable on the spot, or if you really like a guy, you'll keep him on there, you'll keep recruiting him. Um, or sometimes you see a kid at a camp, or you see him during the spring evaluation period, you really like him, you offer him, and then that kid calls up and wants to commit, and you right. have second thoughts about it. Um, and you, depending on the staff, sometimes you'll slow play the kid, other times you'll flat out just be honest with him. It's kind of depending on whether you see there might be a chance that he could work in it down the road at some point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's really just as simple as being honest with, we like you a lot. We have other guys in this position that we're looking at and have been looking at. We need to see how that plays out before you can commit to us, but we, we're going to keep recruiting you. I mean, we, we want you to be a part of this team if everything shakes out the way we want, but there's a few guys, like if we're able to get all of our top three guys – we might not have the room. So it's just really just being honest as that. And then obviously later on in the process, you could have offered someone in June, but you already filled up at tight end, let's say, and you're, that offer no longer stands because you don't have a space for them. And with you specifically, kind of pay attention, and I try to put this in some of my recruiting updates, if the recruiters talk to Mike McIntyre a bunch, and Mike right. McIntyre is the one that's you know confirming that he has an offer, that's obviously going to be on more of the committable end of the scale versus let's say there is somebody in the ops department that offers a kid um, and none of the staff is following that recruit on Twitter. You can kind of re read between the lines a little mm -hmm. bit in that situation. Yeah, It is tough to keep track of at times because it is such a fluid deal and it changes so much. And we actually have another question that kind of along these lines. JG Buffs had this to say, does the coaching staff quit recruiting a certain position once they have a commitment? For example, C is only going to take one tight end this cycle. So if three-star Trey McBride commits to play tight end, does that mean the staff quits recruiting four-star Cameron McDonald? It doesn't make much sense to quit recruiting the 105th-ranked prospect in the country just because we have a commitment already. Thanks for the insight. That's why, well, actually, with to this question here, is I've said CU will take one or two tight ends this year, kind of with the caveat right. that if they get a top-level guy to join as well, that they would take him. Yeah, it, it comes down to a numbers game a lot of times. But yeah, you're typically at CU. You're not going to, in most cases, turn away the 105th ranked prospect. Now, if that 105th ranked prospect is being a little bit of a prima donna about the recruiting process and maybe he's not receptive to you the way that some other recruits are, you're probably going to cut those ties. Yeah, I mean, it depends on what position you're at. So if quarterback is going to be the main one where typically when you find a guy, that's it. Because... Unless you're 100% convinced you're going to get this better guy, this quarterback is going to go somewhere else if he realizes, oh, they're committing someone when they told me I was their guy. Um, that happens a ton. Uh, in his specific instance here, it depends on how much you like Trey McBride. If you think he can be a starter for you and you're comfortable with him being the one guy, maybe that's all you go after. If it's a guy who you like, but we think we can get somebody better to replace him and have him maybe move on later in the process, you're obviously still going to recruit kids. I will say this, him being the 105th ranked player on scout doesn't mean diddly to this coaching staff. I mean, they rank guys based on how they feel they're evaluating this right. kid. I mean, they could easily have Trey McBride higher on their board. I mean, I'm not saying they do necessarily, but that does sometimes play out in that fashion. So what scout has him ranked doesn't necessarily play into, is this kid better according to the staff? Yeah. C. Bardeen asked, when do the freshmen arrive on campus? Expecting any changes? Any gray shirts? Will Lang qualify? Anyone not scheduled to arrive until the fall, or are they all coming this summer? 
So the freshmen arrive on campus at CU for the Summer Bridge program on June 19th around 9 a.m. And uh, as far as I know, all the freshmen are expected in terms of gray shirts. You know, that's going to depend uh, on post-spring semester attrition or lack thereof. We'll get confirmation on that after the semester. But if no one leaves the program, then yes, you will have to gray shirt somebody. Yeah, you're going to have to have three. <laughs> it sounds like, yeah, it sounds like Lang has a chance to qualify, but yet yeah, it's it's not 100%. It's still got to finish yeah, out this I semester. I mean, you know, likely if there is going to be a guy, you always look at the old lineman first. We have a gray shirted lineman, it seems like, almost every year at this point, just to get guys more physically ready for this level. So if there is going to be one, you know, I would probably keep an eye on those guys first. Uh, but typically there's enough attrition that you need to take maybe one guy and gray shirt him, but or none sometimes as well. James Stefano, the new kicker, is actually going to be on campus early June. I know everyone's pretty excited about that. It's crazy to think that somebody my age is playing college football. <laughs> well, I mean, he's a specialist, so I think that makes it a little bit different, right? Then if you're just, <laughs> just the whole the whole dynamic. It is, you're right, but the whole dynamic of that is going to be interesting for sure. Can he go party on the hill, or is that too old? Right, that's what I mean. Like, how do you? <laughs> Pearl, I mean, he's Pearl from Street Australia. He's from Australia, so he's and he played soccer, so I'm sure he's a good time. This is a stereotype, but every Australian I've know is pretty cool dude. That's what I mean. I yeah, think he's going to be he's going to be a good time, but it is definitely an interesting social dynamic. Seabardian had another question as we transition to men's basketball talk. Please hang in there with us, though, because there's some good topics here. He asks Ziskin, "Did you get your invite to the TBT?" Nice of you to leave room for Copeland. How do you think they will do? What do you think of the TBT, which of course stands for the basketball tournament? They could have thought of something more original than that. <laughs> I think it's kind of cool. Do you? Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll finish this question here. Which team will do better next year? The CU TBT team, Payne's team, or Tad's team? Okay. A lot of questions in there. <laughs> uh, no, I did not get an invite, which is that was probably the smartest decision Bo could have possibly made because I'm well past my prime. Could you have given five minutes a game? No, absolutely not. I haven't touched a basketball in a year at least. We get a my game. That I know, time. I know. That's pretty sad. It's kind of depressing me every day at this point. Yeah, uh, Copeland, he's just a little bit better than me. Might be past his prime, but certainly, certainly could play a little more basketball than I can for sure. Uh, what do I think about it? I think it's awesome. Uh, any, I love that. I love the big three they're starting, uh, that three-on-three three league they're doing yeah. with Kenny Martin that and all that. But they just did the draft this week. So that starts in the summer. I think all this stuff is really cool. More basketball is great for me. Um, any way you can make money playing basketball I think is cool. And people will tune into it. Uh, the TBT is getting bigger and bigger. I mean, games on ESPN now, it's hard to really fault it. Um, I like the it's million a good dollar, product too. I like the million dollar prize. I'd like to see him open it up and get some of these guys paid more beyond that. I mean, I like the winner take all mentality, but watching them lose in the championship game after that super long run just is pretty heartbreaking. I mean, they put a lot of their own money and time into this, and to have it, you know, make them zero dollars is a little bit unfair. I'd like to see the teams that make it maybe to the final four. Do we know? Do they get a per diem or something? No, the team pays really? for everything. Even the hotel? Yeah, they have donors. Well, that's tough. They have donors. That's tough. Yeah, absolutely. They pay for everything themselves. They pay for practice time. They pay for uniforms, all that stuff. Um, so, yeah, that, there's a little more risk, I think, than maybe people understand involved with it. Um, what do I, Oh, that we already answered that one. Which team will do better? Well, <laughs> that's kind of a difficult question to answer. I mean, the TBT team would probably beat our college team. Is that... Is that a fair thing to say? Um, I mean, it's a certainty if they. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I guess 
that would be the team that I think is going to do the best. They were in the finals last year. I think they're better this year. I mean, they have former NBA big men, former NBA wings, a lot of stud guards. I mean, this team is talented. They would beat a lot of teams in college, which is interesting to say. Tad's team is going to struggle, I think, next year, most likely. A lot of freshman talent, but unless you have lottery picks, it's usually not going to make you a tournament team. So I, w- I don't see us making postseason play. Um, the girls' team, honestly, I don't know enough about. It seems like they've had a lot of transfers, but they've improved. They've gotten some transfers, yeah. too. Yeah, I think that they're probably going to make a tournament. Uh, they should be better than they were last year, and they were in the women's NIT. So I guess maybe they will have a little more postseason success than the men's team if I had to. Pick one. Olai Buff asked, do you guys have any way too early predictions on next year's starting men's basketball team lineup and significant contributors? So I did the updated eligibility chart. And I mean, we all knew this was going to be kind of a transition year, a younger team. But then it is just smacking smacking you right in the face. Four upperclassmen, nine underclassmen. Yeah, and seven freshmen. Yikes. Yeah, I mean, that's typically... Unless those freshmen are all ranked in the top 20 like UCLA was last year, and they had three lottery picks. We don't have three lottery picks on this team. I think it's probably fair to say. That usually does not bode well for you in college play. I will say the Pac-12 is going to be very down overall. There's a lot of talent leaving the league this year, whether it be transfers or first-round NBA picks. Um, So the the league is going to be down in general. Um, But, yeah, I don't really have um, a whole lot to say about – a young basketball team, though, as long as the freshmen come in and you can see those those flashes, oh yeah, next year could be a, a super exciting team. Yeah, even yeah. if they just barely eat, no. sneak into the end. Yeah, I agree 100. I think as long as people understand what this team next year is going to be, there's a lot of youth. Your goal is for them to get better as the year goes along um, and give you something to look forward to for the future. I mean, you're going to have five of those freshmen playing significant minutes probably on this team. Um, so if you can kind of get the Bryce Peters, Lucas Seward, obviously Bryce is gone now, but he got a lot better as the season went on. Seward also got better as the season went on. Deleon kind of um, didn't didn't see that happen for him, but he's yeah. a guy that I think people still saw a lot of bright spots in. So you're going to have an opportunity to watch these kids grow up, and I think it'll be a more fun team because, uh, you know, it's a whole bunch of new guys that you get to learn about. And most people always fall in love with the freshmen just because it's something new to watch. I'm going to throw a, a lineup at you, and you tell me what you think. My starting five, McKinley Wright, Dominique Collier, Naaman Wright, George King, and Troy Miller. First guys off the bench, Deshaun Schwartz, DeLeon Brown, and Lucas Seward. And then uh, I would be surprised if Tyler Bay's not part, part of the rotation as well. And then, of course, you're going to need either Dallas Walton and or Evan Batty to be some type of role yeah, on the back court. Up big. Yeah, um, I don't think they'll start the season out that way because I think your goal always is to can we play ourselves into contention. So I would expect Don to start at point guard right away and see how that plays out for us. Um, I do think, though, if we start to get to the point in the year where we're probably not going to make postseason play, you're going to see McKinley Wright play more and more and more because Dom is getting phased out of the program, right? He's going to be a senior next year, so... Um, this McKinley Wright, they're going to give him every opportunity to grow as the year goes on. But I'd be surprised to see him start right away. I, I, if if he's good enough to push Dom to the two, that's Dom's more natural position. Um, and if they're comfortable with him playing the one, this team is going to be better than I'm projecting right now. Um, I will say that for sure. Um, I My change would be 
that I think Dom will slide to the one, and I think Treshawn, I mean Treshawn, geez, Deshaun, Deshaun Sorts okay. will probably play the two. And then the other three I have the same name on, George King and uh, Tory Miller. Tory Miller, yeah. Okay. So um, I, could see, I could see them, you know, moving it around a little bit, but if I had to guess, that would be my starting five for now. Absent from this conversation so far has been Alexander Stratin, who they are apparently putting on scholarship. What are your thoughts there? I mean, I don't um, want to be. I mean, I, yeah. I saw enough practices where I mean, I can be pretty confident in saying he's not going to be an all-conference guy at any point during his no, career. No, yeah, I don't think he'll make it all four years, honestly. Which is, but he wasn't like dribbling say, the ball off his foot or anything no, yeah, ridiculous. I mean, he's not. He's not Kenan Guzanich for sure, but I don't think he's a guy who's going to help this program at any point either. So. I don't know. I mean, it seems you always have that guy on a team. So I mean, there's always somebody who is on scholarship that just doesn't contribute. Um, but you hate to see that be the case, I guess. So we'll see how it plays out. I mean, they did promise him a scholarship, so I guess good on Tad for following through on it. But I think in hindsight, you wish he wishes he would have had another available scholarship to go after a big man right now. Kind of along that last topic, Buff in Vegas asked. With such a large freshman class for the men's basketball team, how do you see them ranked in order of contribution significance during their senior year? Oh, geez. Are we including the redshirt guys? Uh, he's just talking about, well, I guess you could throw those guys in there. Yeah, so Dallas and, and Stratton, too. I think Deshaun Schwartz and Tyler Bay both have legit potential to be NBA guys. Right, I agree. And, but if we're, and that, I mean, again, I would say Tyler Bay probably has the most NBA potential, but I think it's pretty much a lock that Deshaun Schwartz will be the best college player, if that makes sense. So it depends mm-hmm. on how you want to look at it that way. I would say Schwartz, one, Bay, two, McKinley Wright, three, Evan Batty, four, Nikolic, five, and then Dallas Walton, six, and Stratting, seven. All right. CL34 with our last question here in the mailbag. He asked, why so many recent misses at the point guard and front court positions? Uh, the point guard one I can't really explain to you because that's easier. Uh, the the front court thing is there's like 25 good front court guys in any given year, and 21 of them go to Kentucky and Duke. So there just aren't that many studs that play the center position in basketball anymore. It, that's just pretty much as simple as that. And the best ones go to the programs that are you know making the elite eights and the final fours every year. I think people forget you know there are 10 or 12 programs that get almost every five-star in college basketball. That's just kind of how it goes. Um, so that's t- it, it's tougher to recruit talented bigs. That's, that's, there's no argument there. Um, the point guard thing, though, they have to do a better job. And we'll see if McKinley Wright can be that guy for them. But, yeah, there's no excuse to miss out on as many point guards as there are because you see in lower levels all the time there are point guards that are studs. You, you just have to, you know, you have to be smart about, about this and – a lot of the time, the, oh, this guy's too small to play D1. Well, all the time we see point guards from smaller D1 schools transfer up and be studs at the Power 5 level. I mean, Arizona gets one, it seems like, almost every year. So, uh, Yeah, how, how disappointed, let's scale it 1 to 10, how disappointed were you that they didn't get a grad transfer? Because clearly, based off our conversation here, being able to get a guy at the point guard position that could play right away mm-hmm. would have made next year's team have such a better chance to, to compete in the Pac-12. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, in now, the you, end, wouldn't have, you wouldn't have gotten McKinley Wright had you Right, done that. exactly. So it depends on how you want to look at it. I mean, even in a best-case scenario, I think next year you get maybe a top-ten guard on the transfer market. 
that team becomes maybe an NIT team next year? Maybe. Is that really worth it to mortgage, you know, for lack of a better term, your future with a guy like McKinley Wright? If you get four years out of him and he's a good player, don't you probably win out in that scenario? So I think for the future of the program, maybe not getting one is good. I mean, obviously, it, you know, it hurts your ability to make the tournament next year. But I think it was slim even if you were successful there. So I think three or four years down the line, we're going to look at it and say, oh, this probably worked out for us if McKinley Wright's a really good player. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, today it's a little bit disappointing because you don't want to see your team struggle. Well, I think it shows Tad Boyle isn't willing to panic after a, yeah. a couple. Yeah, he doesn't seasons. seem to love those grad transfer situations. I mean, Derek White technically was one, but you talk about him all the time wishing that he had pulled the trigger on Derek White earlier in his career. Um, I don't I don't think he just likes that mindset of Utah and Oregon always seem to have those grad transfer type guys. Um, I don't think Tad loves that philosophy all that much. Let's talk a little bit more about McKinley Wright. Uh, when I watch his film, and I said this on a radio interview last week, that he just reminds me of that kid that slept with his basketball, walked around class with it all day. It just He's just really a natural basketball player. Yeah, the one thing that I was talking to Will Whalen about him not too long ago, and he was 100% right in saying that Archie Miller always has really tough guards. That's what you need for college. You need to have a tough guard who can bring the ball up the court against pressure, can finish over contact, that type of stuff. He's going to be a natural floor leader for you. Archie Miller has always, always, always had that type of guard on his team. Um, and he had McKinley Wright. So, he, you know, I trust his evaluation on what McKinley Wright could be. Even the scouts have been talking about how tough he is as a player. I think that's exactly what this team needs. Um, and, and if that pans out, turns out to be the truth, he's going to be a stud for us. What were your thoughts on Lazar Nikolic? I mean, it's there's not a lot of film to really gauge. You know, it's you don't know the talent that he's playing against, which makes it the toughest. It's hard to watch film because you don't know how good guys are that he's playing against. When you when you know the players that playing against on the court, it's so much easier to gauge how talented you are. Um, he's not a good athlete. He's got a pretty natural shooting motion, so at least you, I mean, he's going to be better than Nakazili on the perimeter, which I guess isn't hard based on his numbers last year. I like his. You're size. saying he's going to shoot better than five percent? Yeah, 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 yeah. Real, uh, <laughs> real bold prediction there. Um, I like his size. He's a pretty gifted passer, uh, which was nice. And again, talking to Will Whalen, he kind of sold me on him a little bit by talking about a lot of the best point guards in college aren't freak athletes. They're not guys that are blowing you up and down the court, dunking on you, you know, Russell Westbrook types. Um, Nigel Williams-Goss is one that he pointed out to me. Like, he's one of the best guards in college basketball. He's certainly no burner, no freak athlete, and he's not even a great shooter. So, I mean, if he can have that level of poise, he could help us. I mean, I don't think he's going to be Nigel Williams-Goss. That's not what I'm trying to say. But he is right that, you know, having those attributes don't necessarily make you – a world-class point guard in college. And unfortunately for, for him, I think he gets a bad perception because the previous Euro guys that right. they brought in really struggled. Mm -hmm. Now, this is a Bill Greer find, apparently. Mm -hmm. So does that change your thinking a little bit? Yeah, I mean, he's definitely had more success finding guys overseas. I mean, the last few European or European and or overseas guys haven't worked out for us that well, but I mean, Nate Tomlinson, a little bit farther back, ended up being a guy that was pretty solid for us. He obviously came from overseas as well. People kind of forget about him when they talk about that stuff. So it's not like we've never had success there. But, uh, 
you know, I think if he, if he could have a similar path to Nate, you know, a guy who struggled early on but had to play a lot of minutes, I mean, he's not going to have to do that on this team probably. And by the time you're a junior or senior, can he contribute and be a good player for you? That yeah, I think that'd be great. George King is, uh, would you say he's testing the NBA draft waters? It's not yeah, like I mean, he's like legitimately going to leave. No, yeah, he's not leaving. Uh, I, I get it, though. I mean, if they're willing to let you out there and – you know, you're going to get some evaluation. What does he need to work on? I think what's going to be good for him is he's got a lot of the NBA tools physically. Um, his size, his athleticism, his shooting ability. Those are things that NBA scouts are going to like. But what they're going to – his rebounding from the wing position as well is going to be above average. Guys are going to like that. But what he's going to realize is I have to do so much more to be an NBA player. And does he take that back with him and work on it? Or is he going to be the same guy that we've seen for the past two or three years – especially defensively, he's he's going to hear some stuff he doesn't like probably in this evaluation process, and he's either going to fall apart because of it or he's going to be a much better player. So I think it's good for us, uh, assuming he's not crazy and ends up leaving, because uh, I, I think he'll learn some valuable stuff. Do you think his inconsistencies as a player can get corrected, or is that just kind of it is what it is type of thing? No, I think it can get corrected because his sophomore year he didn't have them as much um, junior, I think he, I think with Derek White on the team, he didn't know exactly what he was supposed to be. Um, I think he thought he was going to end up being the guy that was taking 15, 20 shots a game. But Derek White was better, and I, I think he didn't know exactly how to fit into that mold there. And I think he's got to be better defensively. I mean, he has a chance to be a pretty good defensive player if he wants to be. Um, so I think they're fixable. He's obviously only got one year, so we'll see how it plays out. Sometimes senior years, you know, there's too much pressure and I only have one year left and people fall apart. I mean, I think you saw Josh Fortune do that this year. Sometimes guys blow up and have huge years because it's the last time they get to show themselves. Derek White did really well at the Portsmouth Invitational. All but one game, just fantastic. Xavier Johnson, of course, played in that as well. Derek White goes to the NBA Combine. Uh, How big a deal is that for him? Huge deal. Pretty much means he's got a good chance to get drafted. Um, that's typically, if you go to the combine, you go, I mean, if you don't go, I would say you maybe have a five to 10% chance of getting drafted. How many guys get invited to Um, that? Do you know? It it depends because they, a lot of the top prospects don't end up going. I think, I think they usually invite 75 is is what I think the number normally sits at. And so there's only 60 picks, right? And then a bunch of those are international guys. So there are definitely guys who go that don't get drafted, but pretty much everybody's getting put on a team. Uh, in summer league, if you go to the combine, so he's going to get a chance to play in front of NBA guys, no matter what happens at this point, which is huge for him. And uh, I think he has a chance to go, man. I mean, he's had such an improved game over the last two years. People really, you know, seem to think highly of him. Not only did he get an invite, a lot of people who were at Portsmouth thought he was the best player there. So, I mean, he, you know, he has a chance to go in the second round. There's a, a little bit of a schedule update here, too, for men's basketball. Of course, they're going to the Paradise Jam in the Virgin Islands in November. Looks like a pretty weak field overall. Yeah, uh, yeah It well, does include Wake Forest. And they also put us on the same side of the bracket as Wake Forest, which doesn't make any sense at all. So yeah. we can't meet them in the finals. We're going to meet them in the second round, probably, which seems pretty ridiculous. But My guess is a whole lot of CU fans aren't heading out to the Virgin Islands. I want to go to the Virgin Islands, man. Yeah. Give me an excuse to go out there. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> But why not, bro? I'll take a beach. They're going to begin a home-and-home with New Mexico, which is going to start in Boulder this year. So for 2018-2019, make plans, head down to the pits. Yeah, man, we get to go to Nebraska in football. It's going to be a good year. 
good travel spots. And then, of course, the Buffs play at Xavier this coming season. They're going to host Portland. And they're going to face off against Rodney Billups' DU squad at the Coors Event Center. Uh, some other games against other front-range teams at Colorado State this coming year. And then at home against Northern Colorado and Air Force. Am I forgetting any games that have been announced for men's basketball, the schedule? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, no, there's what's the game in North Dakota. They play somebody up there again, don't they? Iowa, there it is. Iowa, there we go. Yeah, see? That's a big one. Yeah, so that, that'll be a cool game next year. Dude, they're going to be good. They've got a couple studs. they got a couple first-round pick potential guys on Iowa next year, so that should be a... Uh, Another learning curve type game for the Buffs. They have a tough non-conference schedule, which again is not great for your tournament chances. But um, I think they're gonna, you know, they're gonna grow up in a hurry. So that's good. Do you feel like our spring cleaning is complete? Is our basement all cleared out? We're we're yeah. good to go now. Talked all the Buffs there is to talk. All right. Well, we'll be back before you know it with another show. Probably not as regularly as we do, obviously during the season, coming at you weekly, but. As news dictates, we will be back uh, in your earbuds. Yeah, we might have to wait until the Cavs and Celtics Eastern Conference (laughs) Final Series. We're not allowed to be near each other for that week stretch. Don't text me during that. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for tuning in.